This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Promises Behavioral Health. If you're struggling through the pains of alcohol or drug addiction or a mental health disorder, now's the time to seek the help that you need. Let this be an opportunity to get back on track and get back to finding the real you. I want to tell you this, you're not alone. I thought for so many years that I was alone in this. I was the only one going through it and it's just not true. Promises Behavioral Health is here for you and they can help you through that process. They can help guide you to getting some of the help that you need. Now, we've worked with Promises for years now. We know their teams personally. We have great relationships with them. And most importantly, we trust Promises and so can you. To learn more about Promises treatment options near you, for you, or your loved one, here's what you can do. Go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash soberguy. That's promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash soberguy. Or you can just pick up the phone and call 888-205-1890. That's 888-205-1890. And tell them that you heard about them from That Sober Guy Podcast. That Sober Guy Podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy Podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Good to be back with you. You've been listening for a long time. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for coming back and supporting the show. I have a great guest for you today. His name is Patrick Custer, and I'm so excited to talk with Patrick today. He has a great story, uh, as well as some great resources, a great podcast to share uh, through our amazing partner, Promises Behavioral Health. Uh, Here's a quick background on Patrick. He's the National Director of Alumni for Promises Behavioral Health. Uh, He's the host of the Rooted Recovery Stories podcast, uh, and he served more than a decade as an addiction recovery advocate and speaker, uh, helping to facilitate change in the lives of those brave enough to seek the help that they need. Such a good point too, man. It does take bravery. It takes some courage uh, to stand up and say, I need some help. I know it's a tough thing for me to do, and that's probably what prohibited me uh, for so many years into getting the help that I finally needed. But man, once I did that, just said, God, like I need some help. It was so powerful. And uh, God really started to move and, and, and make some changes in my life. So I just want to encourage anyone, if you're struggling right now and you're really just at a standstill, man, it's okay to reach out for help, man. There's power in reaching out for help. And there's plenty of resources and people who care about you who can help you do that today. Uh, so we're going to get to Patrick in just a minute. Just a couple, uh, couple of quick announcements to make. Uh, first, are you tired of drinking? Maybe that's why you're here today. Um, we have a great 30-day program designed to help you quit drinking. Uh, it's called Quit Drinking Dude, the ultimate men's guide to quit drinking alcohol and stay sober for 30 days or more. Uh, you're going to get 30 podcasts in 30 days, as well as some great exercises and takeaways and a community uh, of support in our locals, Sober Guy Men's Group, to help guide you through that 30-day process. Uh, so if you want more info on that, you have questions, you can go to quitdrinkingdude.com. Uh, you can also contact us at thatsoberguy.com on the contact page there. Um, also follow us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. And like I mentioned before, you can join our sober guy men's group and check that out. Uh, if you want, you can download the locals app or go to that sober guy podcast.locals.com and everything we talk about, uh, including Patrick's links and the links I just mentioned will be in the show notes for you. So it's easy to find. And uh, let's get to Patrick today, man. It's so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to come on and hang out. Absolutely. Uh, excited to be here. It's been, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it has. I know it has. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's been too long, but hey, we're here, we're here now. And I'm really yeah. excited uh, to hear a little update on how things are going with you. Um, of course, I want to hear a little bit about your story. So those listening, maybe this is the first time they've heard you, they can get to know you a bit. Uh, first, just a huge shout out to Promises, the whole Promises team. How's Kathy? How's Carly? How's everyone doing over, uh, over in the Promises world? Man, our our promises team is uh, everyone's doing great. We're having a um, a little bit of a bittersweet week this week because Kathy is uh, retiring. No way! I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So um, happy for her, and uh, you know, trying to stay happy for her a little sad for us. And um, yeah, yeah. 
So wow. Well, well, Kathy, if you hear this, congratulations. And I know that like there's a lot of people probably excited, including myself for you. That's like who who knows what life holds ahead. At the same time, I feel you, Patrick, on the sadness of that. You're really losing a great person and a great um yeah. you know leader, I think, uh for for promises and just the recovery community too. Well, I shouldn't say losing, but moving on to a different chapter, I right. guess would be a better way to put it. That's right. Yeah. Well, I told her this week, I said, you know, you left a stamp on uh, a mark on our alumni department. She's, for those of you who don't know, she's who supervised all of our marketing efforts, um, including alumni and admissions, everything, the chief marketing officer at Promises. Um, and so let, she's definitely left her, made her mark and left her stamp um, that will be there for a very long time to come. Yep. So even though she's moving on, her work is still there. Still, oh, yeah. Still running us. Her, so. her ability to connect with people uh, genuinely and genuinely care. Like I remember when I had the kids and Jess um, at one of the conferences down in San Diego and we hung out, you know, just during, we, a couple times during and just, just hung out and talked and she's just so sweet to the kids and just hanging out. And we, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, staying sober and sobriety and recovery and stuff too. But a lot of the time was just spent like hanging out and just enjoying life together and having yeah. good real yeah. conversations. So um, that's awesome, man. Super, super excited and a little bit sad at the same time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So if we kind of transition here, Patrick, um, for those listening out there who, uh, who maybe haven't heard about, uh, about your story and how, um, how you kind of came into uh, the work that you're doing today, um, maybe we can start there and take us back and give us a little look inside, inside, uh, your, your background and your journey of recovery. <laughs> Man. All right. I'm going to take it all the way back. Um, so grew up, uh, here in, in Nashville. I'm, in Nashville, Tennessee right now, grew up here and, um, you know, in, in a family, a good family. And, uh, but one that has, uh, our, our, our genetics are riddled with, um, addiction, alcoholism. And, uh, I, some of my earliest memories are my parents warning me, you know, that, that alcohol was uh, dangerous and, you know, stay away and what have you. I'm the youngest of four kids and, uh, my oldest brother's 19 years older than me. And so, he was already in active addiction from my, when I was born and, um, and from my earliest memory till he finally got sober when I was, I think I was 12 or something, something like that. Mm. And, um, so, you know, I, I grew up in a very black and white, uh, household. And what I mean by that is everything was either good or bad. Um, you know, and, uh, there was no gray and, uh, you know, my parents, I believe that all parents do the best they can with what they have, you know, like they, you know, once you, once you know better then then you can do better. And, um, you know, but, uh, man, I, and I don't know if I had had anything different in my upbringing, if I would, if I would have, you know, ended up, uh, uh, you know, addict as an addict or not. Um, but I know that, I was told no and wasn't educated on like, like what alcohol, yeah. like, Hey, if you're going to drink, this is how to do it. This is the difference between different types of alcohol. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bad idea for people like us and our family and everything, but here we're going to arm you and equip you, you know? And, um, so, you know, moving forward, I didn't touch my first drink or drug or cigarette until, um, gosh, I was in my sophomore year of college. And so what, whatever that would make me 19, almost 20. And, um, you know, I, so I was kind of a late bloomer when it comes to that for, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. as it's concerned for a lot of people. And, um, but man, when I started, I, it was very quickly, I just went down and my whole, my whole drinking and using career was <laughs> lasted yeah. four years. Wow. Do you remember, do you remember yeah. the first time that you like that, the feeling or, or, or roughly yeah. the first time? What was that like? Absolutely. Um, man, I love, I love asking this question. I love talking about it because I think it's so, um, for so many of us, the, you know, we go through with our questions about life and, you know, all the things that burden us. And, um, all of a sudden for, for me, this was a, a new way to cope yeah. <laughs> that I didn't know I was looking for. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a bit of uh, codependency and peer pressure, if you will. Um, but I also wanted to try it at that by that point. You know, yeah. I was the last of 
last of really anybody I knew in my circle that hadn't at least tried drinking and it was beer. Um, you know, and I was at a party, a small party. I mean, like by small, I mean, there were probably seven people there. And, uh, this is, so this is the narrative that I had in my head about alcohol growing up alcohol and drugs just all in one pool together that it was it was bad that if you drink or do drugs you are certain to <laughs> go crazy you know yeah. and end up basically you know end up addicted under a bridge yeah. uh you know and i don't know that that was ever specifically what was spoken into me but those were the messages that i developed you know sometimes that you don't get a when you're being raised, you don't get a verbatim message, but all of the ways that things are talked about and presented for you end yeah. up painting a picture or narrative. And that was my narrative for, uh, what it was. So, so I, you know, I, I, I drink a beer, I drink my net and I'm like, I'm okay. You know, whatever. I didn't really feel anything. I drink my next beer and I start to feel a little buzz. I, I think in total, I drank like three or four beers that night. It was probably a lot for the first time yeah. for somebody, but I just remembered like that, what everybody talks about that aha moment, that sense of release, um, ease and peace. And, uh, that came over me and what, what came after was this internal conversation, uh, between with me, with myself, um, <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, my parents had lied to me this didn't feel dangerous oh, and I didn't wow. feel this need to go back and have more alcohol. Yeah. I didn't feel a compulsion to go to, to, to drink more immediately. I didn't, the next day I didn't want to go back and do it again. There wasn't this, like I did not have all these, these awful things that had been told to me, um, which could or would happen. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm starting asking me myself these questions like, okay, my parents must be this they must be coming from such an extreme place you know and i get it my family i, I mean i have family members that died straight up from alcoholism yeah. so i knew that they weren't coming from a place of just making sh crap up yeah, yeah but um you know just i just felt like okay they've they've exaggerated they've overreacted what else have they overreacted about so this kind of set about for me a whole path of rebellion of everything that i had been raised to believe you know like i had never rebelled in my life i was i was such a good kid i was homeschooled k through 12 yeah. which explains a lot about my personality you know but uh yeah like grew up super conservative wanted to please my parents be good do good yeah. all those things and so um yeah I, it, it was very interesting the stage in which that switch was flipped for me because it was it was not just the ease and comfort that i you know i got but my whole worldview all of a sudden yeah. started to get cracks in it yeah well well you, when, you, when you mentioned the the thought of this idea that you that you have um of you know what alcohol and drugs would do to you you'd be on the street mm -hmm. you'd be you know just it's going to destroy your life right and and we see that that's obviously true right but i feel like yeah. there's also this there's a lot of stigma behind that in a sense because it paints the picture that that is the worst of what can happen and there's not hundreds of thousands of other men and women out there who are struggling just going day to day taking care of business but still struggling at the same time and so when you got right. to a point and you tried this beer you're like wait a minute that's not the case you know what i mean that doesn't really align with what mm -hmm. so i think that although there's some truth to it that stigma creates some confusion there too it's really interesting actually the the, the thought of that i think so what happens from yeah. there or, or, or i'm sorry if you want to respond to that uh, thought no i was yeah. yeah i was just gonna say a resounding you know agreement there that um you know it wasn't until i got into 12 steps and and towards the back of the the big book you know they yeah. talk about the different types of drinkers uh that there are you know and um man you know I, this is the part where i always like to say if you're asking the question that you're struggling or you feel like uh you're having negative um con any negative consequences to your drinking, using, if whatever recreational, yeah. uh, there's something to that. Follow that questioning. That um, a negative relationship to substances or even process addictions um, 
can come in so many different forms. And just like that, there's so many different forms of help and healing that are out there. It's not one size fits all. And you're not going to get committed once you say, hey, I'm I'm curious that this might be a problem or struggle for me. Um, I think I always thought in my head that if you were to say something like that, even just to a friend, like the, the, the lights, are, the, the, the vehicle with the lights going off is yeah, going to be showing up and calling you off. <laughs> so um, the worst you're going to get not- is maybe like a dude who maybe seems a little weird or a lady who seems a little weird giving you their phone number and saying, Hey, call me. <laughs> that was yeah. always a little weird right at first, but yeah, the, the, the cops aren't coming if we reach out <laughs> most of the That's time. Right. At least, right? That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, you know, yeah. unless, unless, unless we've I mean, done something to break the law, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which was, that ended up being the case for me. But, yeah. um, so, you know, I'm, I moved on through my, uh, drinking, using career, just doing more and more stuff. My, my, uh, I always say my drug of slavery was always alcohol. Uh, my drug of choice ended up being Adderall. So I was basically speedballing through mm. four wow. years of my life. Dang. And, um, the reason why I say that is because I like alcohol was something that I ended up moving to the plate. Like I started off, uh, occasions like right like the weekend everybody my age was drinking on the weekend we basically get super drunk at whatever we were doing that's the norm when you're 20 right and um at least in (laughs) where i was in college it was and um and but you know i quickly sloped downhill to where towards the end i was drinking between a half and a whole handle of liquor a day just to avoid going through withdrawal symptoms and um so it, yeah it, it there was a very uh stark contrast between uh you know I, I look back and i think four years really isn't that that long a period of time when you think about your life as a whole um i'm 35 now so it was it was a minute ago and uh got sober when i was 24 and it, it but man, there was a lot that happened in those yeah, I was four years. Say, it I sounds a, like a I lot. got a D. Yeah, so I was in college. I'd wanted, I was in uh, college for political science. Went to Belmont University. Um, I really wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, that, for a number of reasons, just didn't work out. I didn't want to do as much reading as required. I hate to read. It's just not my thing. <laughs> and um, that. Unfortunately, being an attorney requires a whole lot of reading, a lot more than I'm willing to do. And um, I know it sounds so basic and dumb, but it's the truth, and I just owned it. So I moved on into the sciences. I was working on um, getting my... uh, all my prereqs done for nursing and got into nursing school. You know, here's a a place I will sidestep and say, again, one of those messages that I always felt wasn't necessarily told directly to me by my family, um, but was that, you know, I needed to do something huge, impactful, and important that, you know, whatever I did with my life um, needed to fall into those categories. And, um, but I didn't know how I was going to do that. And I don't even remember how I ended up in, uh, you know, going in the nursing route, but I'd already started to experience, by this point, I was a few years in, I'd already had a DUI, um, I don't remember what other consequences I had had, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was not highly functioning, you know, yeah. I was definitely partying and trying to just maintain, um, my, my parents were supporting me and I worked this whole time that I was in school, but where do you think my work money went? Like they, they, I never contributed to what was keeping me going in school and my living expenses that all went to my partying lifestyle. And, um, for some reason, I never thought that there was any problem with that, that mom and dad would foot, foot the bill to like support my life, but that everything I earned myself would go to, you know? Yeah. Did, yeah. did your mom and dad know what was going on or did they not really have any idea? At a point they did. Um, they were, they, I don't remember when it was a little over probably halfway through that they started to, um, you know, they, when I, when I'd see them, they, you know, I might have breakfast with them or, or something in the middle of the day and you know, they'd smell alcohol on me oh, because wow. I was drinking at the level that you stink. Yeah. 
Wow. All day the next day. Yeah. You know, that it's coming out of your pores. Out of your pores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. And, um, you know, it's crazy is I never thought about it. Even when they would say it to me, I never made the connection between, and it wasn't something that I, um, realized and drew back to before I ever had my first drink that smell. I remember smelling on people when I was younger and I was associated with my brother when we lived in Nashville, he lived back in Texas. So we'd see him. And every time we'd see him, that smell would just wash over me. And I, so you associate it and think like this, my brother was so bad off when I, uh, before he got sober, he like barely even spoke. He was always like, just really obliterate. Yeah. It was real bad. And so, um, that's what, that's what I associated that smell with. So it, it wasn't until I actually ended up getting sober, had been out in Dixon, which for those of you who don't know, is a country that out where I out in the country where I got yeah. sober and stayed out there for a while and, and sober living. Um, it, you know, I'd been sober for probably nine months before I came back into town and we'd gone to like a hockey game or something. And I smelled that smell on somebody. I didn't smell the entire time I was in my addiction. Um, and I, I don't know why. It was probably because I smelled the same way, but th- that <laughs> smell washed over me and I was like, whoa, yeah. this is a this is this is what what I was living for all these these past mm. past years. It was it was a huge just reality yeah. check. Um, and uh, but but moving forward, I said so in nursing school, I finally like this is what I was going to do. This is what it was going to make me feel important, make a change, my stamp on the world. Um, and uh, man, they don't mess around in nursing school. I was barely a month in, and uh, and mind you, I had worked really hard, gotten great grades uh, to to get into nursing school, and it was very competitive uh, here. It probably still is. Um, and, uh, I didn't get into my third application with perfect grades. And, um, so this was like a, a three semester cycle of applying that it took me to finally get in. I finally get in and I'm st- I'm in full blown addiction. So I'm like showing up having like liquor with my coffee every day. Wow. That is not what got me kicked out of the program. I got kicked out of the program cause I couldn't get my butt to uh to class um oh. or clinicals on time i'd be a couple minutes late and they don't tolerate that tolerate yeah. that and um so i got dropped from dropped from class that was one of the most devastating at the point at that time that was the most devastating thing that had ever happened to me because yeah. they took away my last resort my last promise of hope to make a difference and make yeah. something of myself in the world i couldn't think of anything else that was going to make me help me actualize who I needed to be. Did, did you blame and, him at the time? Or did, or, or was there a I sense did, of like personal responsibility? I'm, I'm just curious. You know, what's weird is that, uh, I don't remember blaming them, but mm. everything else in my life at that time was absolutely everyone else's yeah. fault. I don't know why I didn't. I mean, I think that like, how do I argue that, that I, you know, um, I think that I was, I remember feeling just, oh God, that was probably the heaviest sense of grief mm. that I ever started to feel. And that grief that I experienced somehow through the lick, mass amounts of liquor and amphetamines that I was ingesting each day, that grief still came through and I was able to feel it. Um, so, so very much. So what, like a good addict, what did I do? I still put on my lab coat every day. I was living at home at this point with my parents and going to school and I put on my lab coat every day and got up and left the house and quote unquote went to school because I could not, it, it started off with like, I just can't face this. I can't own this. I can't, I can't just own it internally. Like I know it happened but I can't live in this reality yet, much less invite anyone else important to me into this reality, i.e. my parents. And so I just, one day at a time, kept saying, I'll tomorrow, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll tell them tomorrow, get honest tomorrow. Today, I cannot feel this. I can't let myself feel this. And I would just go wherever, either to my friend's house that weren't in school at the time or whatnot. I mean, and I would proceed to drink all day. (laughs) And uh, man, I lived the next 
six months like that to, to where I kept my circle small. My right. friends that I was hanging out with, I kept them separate because what would happen is I didn't want anybody asking questions. This is where the disease really set in and start to drive. Yeah. I mean, not that the disease wasn't driving the boat the whole time, but you can really see it because this wasn't me. I'm not, my mom will even tell you as a little kid, I could, I would always tell her myself, I'm not a liar. Yeah. And, um, I would go hop around from, you know, I never wanted to be by myself. I'm naturally without addiction. I'm a, I'm a seven Enneagram. I'm the enthusiast. I'm outgoing. <laughs> I like to be with people. That's how I recharge. And, um, but, uh, I, so I would go from person to person, friend, friend to friend. Um, you know, if they had to go to work or they had to go to school or whatever, I'd, you know, see who else was, was free to hang out and whatnot. Whenever I wasn't, you know, I would tell them, oh, well, I've got to go to class too. So, you know, oh, and I'd yeah. leave and go to class and go who hang out with whoever else. So I'm yeah. leaving this, this giant thread of lies to everyone in my oh, life. Man. And, um, in your, and lab coat. in your lab coat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, that lasted <laughs> all the way through an entire semester and into crossed over into the next semester. And my parents still would make comments, but, uh, I, you know, they didn't have the receipts to, to come at me and say like, you are outright lying. Like, yeah. I think they just thought I was struggling really bad. I don't think they knew that I like hadn't been in school. Wow. And, um, I look back and I just think about how badly I manipulated my parents out of money and time and their, um, you know, emotional distress, worrying about me. Um, and, uh, it ended it, everything um ended up culminating at uh it was february 16th of 2011 my dad had um he had a uh, a couple days before he had had a major pulmonary embolism and um uh, so like for those of you who don't know is like a, his was like a two foot long blood clot that oh, that wow. went through his went through his lungs and uh had to have open heart surgery and um and I didn't go to the hospital to see him. Everybody in our family went. I didn't go. I don't. I remember telling myself that because back then people still had landlines at their house, and um, I remember telling myself, you know, I need to be at the at, at home in case any of any of the people like from church or our life or whatever call and are worried about yeah. dad. And that was my use that I was going to stay like home oh, and play wow. like, you know manage the line yeah. <laughs> whatever and the stuff we tell ourselves yeah and so i didn't go see my dad in the hospital when he was on his what they i mean they they said he really should have died and i'm so glad he didn't because that would have been forever on my conscience mm. and my siblings ended up coming back to my parents house while i was there and uh they knew what is had been going on and they had been doing some checking and whether or not they had the truth they really had the receipts to be able to prove that i wasn't still in school they acted like they did yeah. and i believed them and you know i remember my brother saying patrick it's you know this this is uh, this is up your yeah. mom and dad aren't coming home from the hospital um to this to you you're you're either going to accept help right now or you're going to leave and find somewhere to go and yeah we're not going to worry about it and uh i accepted help because i was so i was at the point of just like i don't know i don't i don't know what yeah. else to do yeah i didn't have any other plans you know what did what did help look like so they took me out to a, a treatment center it was a 12-step boot camp like i said out in dixon <laughs> tennessee yeah and um it's actually where my my oldest brother had gotten sober as well is he still sober? Uh, 14 years. Yeah, he is. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, man, we talk about surrender. Surrender was not, you know, I had like a little bit of surrender because I was like, I don't want to be on the street and I don't have any money, <laughs> so I'll go to treatment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was as much surrender as I had at that point. So I go to, I go to treatment and two weeks in, you know, at the beginning, they ask you, you know, legal, do you have any legal stuff going on? How much you, how much have you been drinking? You know, that, this whole list of questions that they need to know before they bring you on property and all those things. Of course, I, you know, I told, I did not tell the truth about how much I was drinking just because I was yeah. embarrassed about it. And I was still living a lie of, <laughs> I'm not drinking more than I should. Uh, I'm just choosing to, by the way, it's not out of control. It's all choice. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, I had a real trouble admitting that I was an alcoholic. Uh, this was all at this point, just I hadn't exerted my willpower. And I, I was admitting that, uh, you know, I was at a place where my life was a wreck, but yeah. I just needed to pull my bootstraps up and uh, I was going to be okay. And so two weeks into treatment, I remember them pulling me in. The, the Williamson County sheriffs had showed up at my parents' house and um, served a uh, warrant for my arrest because I don't even remember. It was one of the th legal things that I had. I'd, I'd written bad checks. I'd stolen liquor from a liquor store. Um, I don't even remember if I had finally dealt with my DUI. Like I was real good at catching legal charges, going to that initial portion of jail, and then being like, okay, I'll show up to my court date, and then I'd never show never up. Go. Um yeah and so i was getting served for something yeah and in my def in my defense like man my memory was horrible i couldn't even remember who the president was at the time when i went into treatment oh, wow. so um i couldn't have told them exactly what i might have been in trouble legally for but i definitely knew there was stuff out there that i needed to deal with that i had let loose so um Anyway, they have a come the come to Jesus moment with me at treatment, and they were like, "Look, your parents don't know if they're going to continue paying for treatment. They don't know what they want to do with you. They're not going to enable anymore. You've been lying to them. You've been lying to us. We don't feel like you want it." And by wanting it, I, I was like, "What do you mean?" And they were like, "Want it? Like you don't act like you want this. You don't want sobriety. What do you want?" And I was like, "I don't know. I'm trying. I'm showing up to meetings." He was, and and they said that showing up is not what gets you what gets you sober what lays the path to recovery and um you know we don't even know that we want a bad apple in our bunch not you know spo spoiling the bunch if you don't want to be here you're not going to do what it takes and and put one foot in front of the other um you know we're just gonna have to see and that was all i needed man that yeah. that um that level of pressure that brought me to my knees um i hadn't experienced before you know i'd manipulated my parents for so long whenever any pressure was applied and um, i was finally at a place where my parents weren't there they were saying no yeah. and the people in, in charge of me there were also saying no and uh man i had this 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 shining light like aha moment spiritual experience um and i just remember going back to my room being like okay i need to do whatever it takes like whatever like i'm just gonna ask what i need to do every day because i want to want it i don't know what wanting it is or what it looks like but i want to want it so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask and i'm gonna do my very best for whoever's in charge of me at the moment or in leadership to try and absorb what it is I should be doing because my plan is not working. Yeah. And that is what I needed. That was ultimately what I needed. It was the thing that finally saved my life because it made it possible for me to establish that, that real foundation of sobriety yeah. moving forward. It was like a bit of tough love, a bit of honesty, um, a lot of desperation. It sounds like on, mm -hmm. on your end, you know, just that bottom yep. where we're just like, God, like, what do we do? Like, I don't, I feel like I'm trying, but at the same time, I know I'm not <laughs> like how, you know, mm -hmm. how do we do this? And mm -hmm. so, um, man, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's huge, you know, it's huge. And so when you, when you start to make some, some progress through that, like, what does that, what does that look like? And what is life like, you know, today just being sober and, um, you know, and I, I want to get into a little bit of the aftercare, you know, thoughts yeah. as well too, but what, what does life look like? Fortunately, uh, they both intertwine very well. So <clears throat> <laughs> they were kind of sneaky about the process, even though I was yeah. super in surrender mode. Um, you know, they came to me at the end of 30 days and they were like, we think you need to do aftercare. Mm. And aftercare where I went meant it was basically just more months of residential in a different housing section and your program, your day programming looked different. Um, so I did, I was like, okay, if that's what you think, you know, I'll do that. I didn't expect it, but okay, sure. You know, took it one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time. Ended up doing what I think was like three months of aftercare. So four months in total of like, 
living somewhere doing treatment like work. You know, um, I want to point one, just one one thing out just in case there's somebody listening and they're going, what the heck is aftercare? Can you just give us just a quick rundown of what aftercare is? Yes. Typic so like I said, aftercare there looked different. Typical aftercare when we use that word is uh, you know, when you it, it encompasses like alumni services. Usually it's anything. I mean, people sometimes refer to intensive outpatient as aftercare. So once you're done with treatment, when you go stay somewhere, it can be uh, the, the it's the care that you receive afterwards. So yeah. therapy, one-on-one therapy, it can be IOP. Um, but in the most general term, usually what we're referring to is alumni services. So uh, many of the treatment facilities and like we have at Promises, every single one, we have a national alumni program which this is what I also got involved with and lit my ass on fire about recovery. Once I uh, got out of um, the, the extended programming, you know, I was living in sober living um, and I, I just got really involved with uh, volunteering and, and alumni services and the meetings, the community meetings and all those things, you know, the, talking about that fellowship that that wells up around you yeah. some people want it some people don't but let me tell you everyone benefits from it mm-hmm. um that that whole um saying about the connection being the opposite of addiction is so so very true and what on the days we want it on the days we don't want it, it it's there for us and um so i t- i'm going to kind of transition I, I ended up working in treatment some type of treatment from then all the way till now i knew at that point i was like hey i'm taking it one day at a time but right now this door is open for me and it looks like a way that i can fulfill what i always felt was important was a passion to help people in some way shape or form and it fit with the (laughs) it fit with what i was trying to do with my life in in two ways i wanted to stay sober and give back and i wanted to do you know this this um I wanted my profession to be helping people. So I didn't have a roadmap, but that was enough. It was simple. And that was enough for me. And, you know, I just continued, I have continued my life ever since then the same way I've stayed out of the future, which is so weird because the world asks you, what do you want to do in five years? What do you want to this? What do you want to that? And I'm like, man, I, I really, I know a little bit sometimes today at 11 years sober. I know that, but, um, Living in today in this moment right now is uh, it's not overrated. <laughs> it's not for people like us. Yeah. And um, so I continued. I've worked just about every department you can think of in treatment. And a few years ago, when we uh, at Promises started our national alumni program, um, Kathy Frossard asked me to develop it, and because uh, it had been one of my passions early on, yeah. and she knew that when we got to know each other. And uh, so. At Promises, we're you know our, we're the parent company of a number of residential treatment centers across uh, the United States, and we have uh, uh, alumni programming at each facility. It's called Rooted Alumni, and uh, Rooted because we keep you rooted, right? Once you uh, leave, once you leave treatment, and we have everything from in-person meetings, virtual meetings, um, monthly service projects which I think are so fun. It's awesome to give it back, especially yeah. once you're sober. Monthly fun events where you're kayaking, canoeing, going on roller coasters, going to a beach bonfire, whatever, you name it. We do really fun, cool stuff. Um, learn how to have joy again in recovery and have fun, yep. uh, camaraderie, um, sober. And uh, <laughs> It's possible. And, yes. And we do... Yeah. Um, follow-up calls to stay connected where we're calling you and, and checking on you and seeing how you're doing. And, um, one of the coolest things that I love, I call it like, you know, it's our, it's our annual celebration. It's called homecoming. We have at each facility. Um, so it's, it's a recovery festival that yeah. we have once a year where everybody comes back on campus, the places that help save their life, start their recovery journey, um, awesome. or continue their recovery journey for some, you know, and, uh, reconnect with the staff, fellow alumni, just get you know refreshed and, and reignited about their recovery journey yeah I, so that I, promises is what aftercare is yeah I, I love it and thank you for thank you for breaking it down and giving us a little bit of the details uh behind it and it's so important like i can remember you know when i went to treatment myself and um 
and I, I'm not, you know, I don't want to say treatment was easy. There, there was, man, there was a lot, man. And, and, and I, and I jumped the same, same way. I dove in head first and I was like, okay, I'm making a decision. I'm all in like everything's in here now. And so there was that part of it, but man, going home, and trying to integrate back into work mm -hmm. and like my family and be this new husband and dad who was like, I no longer have, you know, the tools that I use to deal with life anymore. I have these new tools that aftercare part was so important. And we had some stuff, um, some similar stuff with the the place that I went to where there, there was meetups. And, um, I think I did, you know, that they suggest the 90 and 90, like lots of meetings. And mm -hmm. I was really trying to stay connected, but man, point is it was just so hard. But also the point is for me is that, man, I was able, just like you mentioned to find genuine fun and genuine joy. And I was able to find myself like, who the heck am I like as this dude in this world, like, experiencing this life, like I was numb to it for 32, you know, well, 17 years at least, you know, of the run, but, um, man, yeah. that, that aftercare part, huge, huge, huge. And it's so mm -hmm. awesome that you've been able to pour back and be of service. You talked about that a couple of times, um, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, in the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes, that service component is so important to us being able to stay out of our own way and help others. It's huge, man. So how is that going for you? Just building the program, doing the podcast now, just being a part of a great organization, just getting to help a lot of people. Yeah. We've watched it grow leaps and bounds. Um, and, uh, we've got two over 2000 active alumni right now, which is just so cool. Um, we, we helped our, our department alone helped to get 2,300 people into, um, treatment, uh, this past year, which is nice. that when I saw that number in January, it just flooded me with emotions because I mean, yeah. that many, that many lives saved is a big deal. It's huge. And, um, yeah. So I would say that we're doing good. We're, we're thriving and we're changing lives. And it's, um, it, it's one of those things where I have a hard time when, you know, I'm sitting at a, a table of friends and everybody, you know, people are like, man, I don't know I don't, my job, you know, rolling their eyes and like, I cannot ide identify or relate. <laughs> like, cause I go, I go home every day and put my head on the pillow. Now I'm right where God wants me to be. And, um, I'm so grateful because not everybody has that, um, has the ability to, you know, just, to say that about what they, what yeah. they get to, they go and do every, you know, every day for work. And, um, so, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, I'm going to try and say it really quick uh, and I'm going to have to leave a bunch of details out, but it's, it's worth mentioning. One of the things that, um, kept me going drinking fear, I think is what keeps most people using and drinking. And one of my biggest fear ever since I was a little kid was that I was going to get a brain tumor, uh, and die. And, um, and uh, let's see, it was four years, four years into sobriety in 2016. Um, I'd been struggling really bad with some, some symptoms that were unexplained. Couldn't figure out what it was. Took like a year before I finally got a brain scan and they found it and it was brain tumor and it was, it was a pretty intense wow. process. They thought it was very um, initially, they thought it was really severe, the uh, aggressive form of cancer. Um, I found out, they told me I was admitting to the hospital the next day. Um, and let me backtrack here real quick. When I first got sober and I really realized I want this and I can do recovery and I can do sobriety. Um, and I don't care that I will never drink again. Like I can, I can conceive that concept, but, but I could not, if I was ever told that I had a terminal illness, I, I just, I was like, I don't know that I can handle that. My psyche yeah. can't. It's uh, the fear there is so overwhelming. I remember thinking that like this fear that has always haunted me my whole entire life. Um, and so it was Monday morning. They brought me into the doctor's office. They said, Mr. Custer, it's, you know, we figured out what's wrong with you. So sorry. Spend the day with your family, pack your bags. We're going to need you to come in. You'll probably, there's a good chance you'll have brain surgery this week. Oh my uh, we're going to run further tests. So I go home. I didn't drink. I didn't pick up. Um, I made it till the next day till I got to the hospital and, um, I did not relapse. It did end up being severe enough. I had brain surgery and I had, I ended up, it was, it was super severe. I, I was in the hospital yeah. in the ICU on and off for like six months after that it was a huge wow. story of recovery, but I made it through and I made it to the other side without relapsing. 
And um, there's so much more to that story. But the, the piece that I wanted to share is that, um, you know, we tend to look at the, the narrow scope of, um, you know, right now getting our shit together, getting our lives together, <laughs> yeah. in, in, um, which is so important, right? When we do first, first get sober. But if you're out there and you're wondering like, man, what do I do if life, if life happens, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and, and my worst fear happens, do a program, stay in a community, get a community, say yes to being connected to like-minded people that are trying to do the same thing you are, work a program so that when that happens, you have the strength and the support um, and you can do it. I don't, you know, nobody's, none of us are guaranteed an outcome for a tomorrow, but um, I do believe because I, I lived that experience that I made it, made it through the, to the other side and I used all of my tools and I was able to stay sober that it's possible. Yeah, man, that's, that's insane, bro. I can't believe that. Like you get that news and it's funny that you almost, that you had that thought as a child too. That's, that's yeah. super strange. And, and then it, I mean, it's like, it's like a manifestation almost, or I, who knows, who knows what you call it, but that's, that's very interesting and crazy at the same time. Um, yeah. And so have you, so have you, is that like totally done with like the, you had the brain surgery, you still have to deal with some yeah. of that stuff today or. Um, so it ended up being benign and, uh, I have to go get annual brain scans. Um, yeah. and, uh, so haven't had any recurrence yet. And, awesome. uh, this is my, I am waiting for the results actually back from my five-year scans. And so I find out pretty soon if I get to five-year meaning, like I've done five years of annual screenings and yeah. I get to, I think I get to move to a once every five or once every 10 after this, if there's no yeah recurrence so that's kind of exciting milestone for me um to hit well and so. i want to i want to point yeah and that I, I i think so you're having to do those you know those checkups and then five you know five years down the road it's like okay cool like i'm you know i'm at you, you're right a milestone in a sense and in another sense what i just thought of was in this weird way you took something like a brain tumor and brain surgery and you know this whole experience and in something that crazy and 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 scary it sounds like it gave you this perspective on life of this huge blessing of like the experience of life so like i'm a big proponent of being able to look at the glass half full versus half empty and how do we do that how do we yeah. reframe things up and so if we were to do that in this case like you actually received something pretty awesome in mm. this crappy experience. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I, uh, I, whenever, usually when I'm telling my story, I always bring this into the, into the picture and say that like, I walked away from this people, people, I even just start telling the story. People go, Oh my gosh, you poor thing. You know? Oh, yeah. and they have a million questions about how bad it was and all this stuff. And yes, it was very bad. And yes, I almost died. I had, I had, like secondary third fourth fifth complications that were really severely mm. serious and um and you know you could there was a fork in the road i remember my neurosurgeon saying he said look you um there's two ways to go about this that i that i tell all my patients and he was like you're at this very fork in the road and i think that you're on a right path um but again, I had like, I had so many recurring complications. Like I was on oxygen. I had, um, I had had a, I had a blood clot in my lungs. I, I got MRSA in the back of my head where they did surgery. Like it was, it was nuts. And so, um, when I talk about the choice to recover at that point, you know, he was saying you can, I believe in the power of, um, perspective. And he said, you can either choose to be a lifelong patient or choose to see uh, take life by the horns and say, no, I'm going to live. I might have a new normal, but I'm going to live the heck out of the rest of my life. Okay. And, um, it, man, I, I've never forgotten those words and they've continued to encourage me to this day. Uh, because I, I had, a a lot of new normal that was going on for me that like, you know, when they, there's the, the landscape of the insides of the back of my head where a lot of things are different for me now, but, um, but, I, I believe that in, in the power of perspective so much. And that just encouraged me to go 
go continue going veering into that correct that right yeah. direction so that um you know because man it could it could go one of two ways so quickly um i yeah. mean when you're talking about addiction when you're talking about recovering from anything um dealing with anything emotionally in life physical medical yeah. and uh, so yeah man it's been uh it's been fun i'm glad we got to hang out today and thank you so much for sharing uh you know some of your story i know it's hard to get you know a whole you know, a yeah. lifetime of experience and stories in, in 45 minutes. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to say before we kind of wrap up is, you know, you had mentioned early on in the podcast today um, that your, you know, that your goal and, and your feeling of purpose, even when you were young was that you wanted to help people and no, you didn't become a lawyer. No, you didn't become uh, a nurse, but you're right where God has you right now, helping and serving others in this amazing capacity. And it's pretty awesome to see, you know, through all the things, um, you've kind of created your own, your own destiny in that matter. I feel like, and I just want to, you know, can just say that's awesome and say super proud to, um, get to know you a bit and have you on the podcast and hear Thanks. a little bit more, man. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, Thanks. It is, it is, it is pretty cool. It's cool to get to live it too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so two, two things first, um, any, if there's someone struggling out there and man, they're just going for it going through it right now, they don't know what to do. What advice or uh, encouragement could you give them? Oh my gosh. Ask for help. And if it's, even if it's, uh, if, if the only thing that you can do, if the very smallest crack in the dam that you can do is tell somebody in your life that you're struggling, even if it's not calling a phone number, even if it's not dialing, uh, you know, doing what going to a, on a website, tell somebody in your life, do not keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, and start that process of, of not keeping it a secret. Um, if you can pick up the phone or get on the computer yeah. and chat, I would encourage you to call us at Promises um, and uh, you know and talk to our admissions team about what you know what your options might be for getting help because there's there's a lot of help out there y'all and um you know this is such a great pot we love shane and his podcast here um i encourage you also to check out uh the the podcast we have rooted recovery stories um you know our episodes are all very similarly all about hope and and people's stories of how they've overcome adversity and recovery as well um and you know there there are a lot of resources and i would say anything you can do to step out of that cloak of denial and start to take some ownership for what's going on in your life. Yeah. Um, whatever that looks like for you, just put one foot out and see what happens. Yeah, that's good. The, the cloak of denial. I've never heard that before. And that's a good one right there. <laughs> that <laughs> describes it well. Um, well, yeah. Patrick, yeah, thank you so much, man. And we'll be sure to put the promises link. We'll put the phone number. We'll put um, all the links from everything we talked about today. Once again, it'll be in the show notes. You can find it there. Um, any, uh, any, any last words, any, anyone wants to reach out to you specifically, Patrick, or should they just go to the promises website or um, any takeaways there? Sure. You can connect with me specifically if you want to. I'm on my Instagram, Patrick underscore Custer. Um, again, the uh, recovery stories Instagram is rooted recovery at rooted recovery stories. Um, and, you know, the other stuff's going to be in the show notes. Um, and uh, I always end my podcast by saying this, so I'm going to say it. I love yeah. it. I think it's so great uh, that you're only one decision away from a completely different life. And it's never too late to start loving yourself. Oh, that's good, man. I love it. Good stuff, Patrick. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. Appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate you. Yeah, share the podcast with a friend. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast and join our locals men's group. Uh, love to see you in there. Love you guys, man. There's always hope. Reach out if you need some help. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.